Episode number one, Mary Hamilton, talking about the working on our work weekends. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. I'm on the phone now with Mary Hamilton of Kentucky fame. Uh, Mary has national prominence as a storyteller of merit. She's won numerous awards um, as she's traveled around the country, and she's also performed at the National Festival a number of times. Um, Mary, in particular, is famous for her wow weekends, working on our work weekends, which she and her friend put on um, in western Kentucky along the, uh, the river. Um, her work has been featured at storytelling festivals, including the National Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, the Hoosier Storytelling Festival in Indianapolis, the Indiana Storytelling Festival of Nebraska, and many more. She's performed for university students and same families and at children's libraries. Um, Mary's storytelling is also listed in the Kentucky Performing Arts Directory, a jury directory of Kentucky's finest performers. Um, I'm really glad to have Mary here today with her, and I'm very grateful for her time. Um, and today, Mary's going to share with us how she uses and how she works with the Working on Our Work weekends uh, in the retreats. Uh, Mary, thanks for coming on the call. Oh, you're welcome, Eric. <laughs> and the, Go ahead. Well, the WOW weekends are something that are that... Uh, Cynthia Changaris, another storyteller. Um, Cynthia lives in Louisville, Kentucky. I live in Frankfort, Kentucky. And Cynthia and I co-produce and co-facilitate the WOW Weekends. The two of us have a partnership that we call Scheherazade's Legacy. And the WOW Weekends are sponsored by Scheherazade's Legacy. We chose that name for our partnership because, if you recall in the Scheherazade story, Scheherazade is the one who tells the tales of the Arabian Nights or the tales of the Thousand and One Nights. And in that way, she keeps herself alive night after night because... In the face of death. Right, in the face of death. She's been married to someone who has developed a habit or pattern of marrying marrying a young woman, spending one night with her and having her killed the next day so that his wife will never again have a chance to betray him as his first wife did. So Scheherazade's father is the one who is charged with choosing women to become the ruler's wife, and Scheherazade develops a plan and asks her father to choose her, and her sister comes to her each night begging for stories. And so Scheherazade tells stories, making sure she's had an exciting part. When daylight comes and her husband is overhearing the stories and wants to find out what happens, so Scheherazade's legacy is the promise of stories for life. And I've that's attended, how we look at it. I've attended a number of these wild weekends, and I never quite got that. It's just, I I think that's a real gem to find that that's the inspiration behind the wild weekend. Yes, that's that's the inspiration behind the partnership. 
And the specific Wow Weekends got their start when Cynthia and I brought Lauren Nimi to Frankfort, Kentucky, because we wanted to have more time with Lauren after both having attended a workshop he did at one of the national conferences on plot and various forms of plot and ways of of organizing story. We thought it was fascinating and thought others who hadn't been at the conference would find it fascinating, too. So we organized a weekend with Lauren here in Frankfort, Kentucky, where I live, and it, it went well. And we asked Lauren his advice on how to continue this work. And what he said was, invite everyone who attended the weekend, you know, set a time, set a place, invite everyone who attended, and you'll find out. Those who really want to come and can't, you'll hear from them. Those who have no interest, you won't hear from them. And then those who want to come and can, they will. And you can take it from there. And so we follow that advice, and we had someone call us who had not been part of the initial workshop with Lauren. And we were a little worried about whether or not we should actually have someone there who hadn't been in that initial workshop because all wisdom we had seen or read from anyone about how to get sort of a coaching circle or a working-on-your-work kind of group going said that people needed to already know each other because they had to have a high level of trust with each other. They had to know each other. They had to be at about the same level in their um, experience in storytelling or it wouldn't work. Everything we had read said said those sort of things. If you wanted to have a, a peer coaching, that you had to be sure that you were peers in all these kinds of ways. You had to be peers in the level of your work. You had to be peers in your experience. And you had to be peers in that you already had a built-up level of trust. Well, we decided to go ahead and let that person come. Try it. See how it went. Unfortunately, it went well. And that caused the two of us to question this wisdom of whether or not people really had to already have relationships with each other Mm. before they could come together and help each other on their work. And so we came up with the name WOW, Working on Our Work, Storytelling Weekends, and we called them WOW Weekends, and we experimented with letting anyone come who wanted to and discovered that as long as we facilitated in a way that developed consistency from weekend to weekend, that people could be there participating who didn't know each other. And we could find ways of building trust within the group. Hmm. Did you find I mean, that you they... came not knowing other people in the group. Yeah, I came totally not knowing. And the thing is, too, that you made it extremely affordable. You made it reachable. I mean, there's a lot of stories like workshops that cost a lot more money to attend. And well, yes. We we charge $150, and that $150, my, it includes lodging Friday night, lodging and Saturday night lodging. It includes six meals, Friday supper, Saturday breakfast, lunch, dinner, Sunday breakfast, lunch, It includes at least one hour for each participant to work on their work with the attention of the group focused on that person's work. It also includes 
our leadership. Now, truth be told, all the 150 really covers is the meals and the lodging. But the reason Cynthia and I do that is because a really important part of these weekends for us is that we also get assistance with our work. We really do believe that when people come together for the weekends, that the people who have chosen to come on that weekend are forming a community of peers for that weekend. And one of the most important things that someone can do, a teller can do for another teller, is to listen. Listen to what the teller's doing. Listen to what the teller is wanting to accomplish. And then you're in a position to tell the teller what your experience was as a listener. Here is where you got it and ask questions about where you didn't get it. And, you know, who who do we really work for eventually? It's our listeners. And, And that's a really important skill to have in front of an audience, to be able to hear the audience. Mm-hmm. You really have to when you're on stage. You really have to be hearing, um, and and connecting with them while you're telling. Yes. And so I just can't underestimate. It just seems to me I see a lot of storytellers who are really good at at performing, but then there's the other part of storytelling of of just listening that they are still working on, and that's good. I mean that's where they're at. Um, so in your practice in the weekends, um, what if someone has very little experience? They come to the table with you know, they've never performed in front of a group. They haven't ever really uh, told a story to anyone else, but they are fascinated by storytelling. They've attended events. They want, they've been an active listener, and they want to come, and they, they would like to um, explore being a storyteller. Is this a sort of um, workshop that someone like that could attend? They could attend the weekend if they wanted to. We have had people attend who are brand new to storytelling, We've also had people attend who have told for many, many years, have been featured at major festivals around the country, and have lots of experience. So the participants' level of experience varies greatly. Sometimes those need someone who will listen to them try to find their way through a story for the first time. And sometimes they don't want to tell at all. They just want to have an hour to talk with people about how might I get a start? What could I read about storytelling? Where might I find those first audiences? How might I get ready for those very first audiences? So it, it the content of each person's term is really determined by that individual participant. So what a person can receive in their hour very much depends on what the person wants. Now, one question that might come up, someone might think, well, but if I'm a really experienced storyteller and one of these participants is a brand new storyteller, I mean, they know almost nothing about storytelling. They're so new to it. They've never told a story before. Well, then how could they possibly help me? And sometimes that can come up and where it's more likely to come up is from that new teller thinking, what would I possibly have to offer these other people here who know so much more about this? And Cynthia and I try to reassure and make it clear to that teller that 
what they bring is the experience of any listener, any audience member. And the audience members will know if they ever got off track. And it's important to let the teller know if you got off track. It's important to let them know if you especially enjoyed a part because all audience members will notice that kind of thing. So even a teller who's participating in the WOW Weekend who might not understand why they got off track in a particular part, if they did get off track and are willing to report that, you know, I I had trouble following this part, well, chances are the teller will be able to figure out what was missing. They don't, you don't have to solve everyone's problems for them. Am I making sense there? Yeah, and you're also The teller really... is real intelligent. They often just need to know, here is a spot where, as your listener, I, I got sidetracked a moment. Mm. And every listener can do that. There's a power in just honest presence and honest feedback. Yes. Um, that's just really just saying what happened for you instead of interpreting what happened. You're just saying what happened. Right, just saying here's here's what happened. You know, we we do use a process. It, we call it the an artist-centered response process, and and so we do use a, a formal process, and it's it's built on a a combination of coaching techniques developed by Doug Lipman, and many people in the storytelling world are familiar with with his books and articles. Doug has written many um, articles about coaching storytellers, and he has a wonderful book printed by August House called The Storytelling Coach. We also built on a process called the Critical Response Process. Hold on on one second. While we're on the Mm -hmm. subject of Doug, Doug will be on this call on May 8th at 7 p.m. He's going to talk about selling ourselves outside the storytelling community. Oh, wonderful, Um, wonderful. Uh, now, Doug's one of the more experienced people out there in our community. And the thing is, it's interesting to me about um, this process is that when you talk about the way Doug does um, does things, is this whole approach of how do I give someone meaningful feedback without being critical, so that they can hear me emotionally. And I just, I just find that amazing. I mean, you were talking about the the other part of the process. Yes, the other part of it comes from the work of Liz Lehrman. Liz Lehrman is a, a modern dancer, and she had de- she developed a process that was called is called the critical response process, CRP, critical response process. And I learned about it through an organization called Alternate Roots, and. I've seen articles about it in more than one alternate Roots uh, Roots newsletter. And Liz, from what I've read in the articles that she's written, her experience as a a choreographer was that she could be called in to work with a dance troupe and help them work on their work. But what they were sometimes really wanting her to do was to tell them how she would do it. And do the process or the work itself? The work itself. Yeah. How she how she would do the work. It would be like having someone coach you in their storytelling, and what they're really telling you is how they would tell the story. Yeah. So both Liz's processes and Doug's processes for responding or coaching are 
very strongly try to eliminate that possibility that the respondents will actually be telling you what they would do if they had chosen mm-hmm. to tell that story. Because the point is, they didn't tell it. They didn't choose to tell it. This other person's telling it. So it's much more important to help the person who's doing the work help each individual storyteller pull from themselves what they hope to accomplish and figure out for themselves how they're going to get there. And and that can be done through noticing what's working. The first step we use is always to listen. We use a five-step process. It's a blend of Liz Lehrman's work and Doug Littman's work. The first step is always listening. Sometimes that's the only step. Sometimes a person just wants to spend their hour being listened to, and they don't want any response at all. That's okay. And the definition yeah. of listening is different for different people, so maybe maybe you should define it when, you, when you're using it now. Oh, I'm talking about active listening. Listening, attending, um, not that blank space, let me pretend I'm listening, listening, <laughs> but real genuine listening <laughs> where if something, you know, strikes you emotionally, it can show on your face. It's all right. If they say something funny, you know, you laugh just to where you you just as a listener allow your face to show your body language to show what's going on so you give your attention so it's it's active listening it's not listening the way we tend to in conversation in that we tend to interrupt in conversation mm. it's really listening keeping your mouth shut and listening <laughs> and so really the only time anybody should interrupt during the listening step would be if something's going on to where you really, really cannot hear the person or the light's not right so you can't see their face or something like that. But we try to eliminate those kinds of things by having a small group so that hearing issues don't become so important and being aware of the light in the room so that the person isn't in shadow but can be seen readily by everyone in the room, that kind of thing, to make the listening easy. So what's the second step? The second step is to give affirmations. These are honest compliments, and it often helps if they're fairly specific compliments. It's basically saying, oh, here's here's what worked for me. Each listener in the room being able to tell the person what worked for them. Here's what worked for me. And Cynthia's fond of using the example of that Sometimes, even during an affirmation, the teller can learn about something that they want to change. She likes to give the example that someone might say, oh, I really like the way the father in your story was was so domineering. That really reminds me of my father. And I just, I just love being reminded of that domineering father. And the teller might think, oh, gee, I I wasn't intending to create a domineering father. Huh, I might want to change that. So sometimes an affirmation tells you about something that you're doing from the perspective of a listener that wasn't what you intended to do. Uh, More frequently, the affirmations will tell you about things that you might have a tendency to think, 
Oh, oh yeah, 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 sure. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, that's just what I do. And I believe it's in some of Doug Littman's writing that I've heard him caution that when you find yourself thinking, oh, yeah, well, that's just, you're actually tapping into a strength. Hmm. And we tend to discount our strengths. So it helps to be reminded of what you're what you're really good at, what you're quick with, what what you're good at, so that you can lean into those strengths. So affirmations are always the second step. And although each artist is in charge of their own turn, Cynthia and I do warn people that we will argue with you if you want to skip affirmations. Because sometimes people think, you know, I know what I'm doing right. Just go ahead and tell me what's wrong or something. And affirmations are really important. It's Gotta always, hear what's working. It's always surprising to me how attached we are to our negative view of ourselves mm-hmm. and how much we fight letting go of it. You know, we come up with excuses and reasons to continue our negative habits or who we are. And even as even as performers, you know, uh, the the audience likes people who are dra- casually dressed. <laughs> the audience <laughs> the audience um, connects with me because um, I speak so softly, or you know, just that. Or really, their bad habits on stage that prevent them from speaking successfully with the audience on some level. Um, but they're very attached to those habits. Well, sometimes they're right, and sometimes it is something that's getting in the way. I mean, I do know tellers who are very casually dressed and very successful. <laughs> yeah. And I know tellers who who are very well-dressed, who tell the casually dressed tellers, you'd be so much more successful only if... You... Right, if you would just dress up, yes. <laughs> Which may or may not be true. <laughs> right, and you know. Depends so, on what the teller's going for. And... I especially like, one of my favorite step is the third step, yeah. which is where the artist asks questions. Mm. Because that is where the person whose turn it is, they're really directing the discussion. They're bringing up what they want the group to talk about with them. They're asking and making sure that the group, within the course of the person's hour, that the group really does attend to whatever parts of this story are most on the teller's mind. It's wonderful to have that opportunity not to hope they'll get around to talking about something that's really bothering you, but to be able just to bring it up. Say, well, what about this part? Here's thought. I keep toying with two different ways of approaching this character and this time I was trying such and such and and other times I've tried this and just to really get it out in the open the the issues that the teller's been sort of grappling with and seeing what sort of responses if any the the listeners have I, I found this stuff to be very empowering I mean mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as an artist when I was working with it because I felt like um, I really had the opportunity to to protect my work, my integrity of what I was working on, what my goals were, and, and to start to kind of work through my own emotions about issues before anybody even offered me any advice. At all. Absolutely, absolutely, because your goals are your goals. You shouldn't you people shouldn't have to. Well, at least Cynthia and I believe that people shouldn't have to defend their goals. 
you know, it's 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 your turn. You know, what what are your what? Are, and we may ask people, you know, what what is your goal, and what what do you hope um, to achieve? You know, for your your audience, there are some times when a question will come up, which is, you know, who do who is it that you have in mind as your intended audience? And, and those kind of questions will often come up in the next step, which is where the responders ask questions. So the responders bring up. Um, the topic of what's going to be talked about in in the form of questions. Now, some people do end up thinking, what if I have something I think this person really, really needs to hear and I can't think of how to put it into a question? Well, we, we do in our talking about the process tell people that there are times when you just feel like you just feel a real need to to offer a suggestion and when that happens you ask the person for permission to give them a suggestion about a specific topic and if they give you permission then you can give your suggestion but we do spend time in our orientation of the process before we start taking individual teller turns we spend time when we're going over the whole process emphasizing with the whole group that any suggestions are just that, suggestions, and that it's up to the teller to use them, ignore them, um, you know, please ask a question if you don't understand the suggestion, but you don't need to evaluate it. You can evaluate it later. You know, it isn't important to say, oh, that's a great suggestion. I'm going to be sure and use that. Or to end up saying, well, what way did you think I'd want to do that? That that will just stop communication. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and in my practice I found that um, it does work so much better to to leave the suggestion part out as much as possible. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But sometimes that's needed. Yeah, if I'm in a situation where people are, um, there's a lot of people being coached, the tendency of the group will be to tend towards that suggestion box instead of asking questions that are in a leading way or or or, or help the teller. And and if I leave the suggestion concept out altogether, the large group can really um, do the work much more effectively. They get better at it, and they're able to work through the process. They do, and I and I think the suggestion part is sort of um, uh, well, not last resort, but kind of a last resort if a question just won't form. And I also think it's important that that questions asked be questions that you really do want to know the answer to. Not questions because you have a particular suggestion, a particular thing you think this teller ought to be doing in mind. And so you're going to ask questions to try to make them say that. And teachers That's take sick. notes. Sometimes teachers feel that they have to do certain, cover certain topics or get their students to say certain, to talk about certain things. And even though it's very tempting at the point in the coaching process to inject some of those sort of questions you know what you know how does that relate to uh, the deeper meaning of this character 
if it's not a question you actually care about, the the kid you're working with is going to know. <laughs> oh, well, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and sure, whether you're using this process with um, students, and, and I, I have used the same process as we use at the WOW Weekends with with students before, particularly um, in artist residencies when students are working on writing. And I've taught it to several uh, teachers as a response process that they can use with their students. So it it can work well, but, um, you know, questions have to be genuine questions, things you really do want to find out about, not questions that are trying to, I don't know, lay a trap for somebody or get them to reveal their knowledge of something in particular that you just wanted to make sure they knew. And um, part, part of the experience of doing it in school, too, is, is is the voluntary experience. And because it's an artist-centered process, so if the artist doesn't want to be up there, it really affects the whole process. And it, when, I, when I do it in school environments, I just find that so helpful that the kids who, who do it are volunteering. And if some kids don't want to volunteer, then they don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've always fought for that in the school setting, and I find it leads to a much more successful experience, and most of the kids um, end up doing it. And mm-hmm. there's always a small section who are just painfully shy, and that's okay, you know. Um, but they, I tell those kids, you have to offer meaningful, you know, you have to really be listening and offer real, you have to participate in the process. You have to ask questions that are meaningful. Uh, other, otherwise, you're going to have to perform. And they, of course, start asking questions. <laughs> um, I also think that Part of what makes the the Wow Weekends work, mm-hmm. and also what I find makes this sort of work work well when I'm using it with um, students, is the confidentiality issue. Yeah. At the Wow Weekends, we really emphasize that basically what what happens during a person's turn stays with the person's turn. And we try to provide that kind of protection throughout at mealtimes. Someone's not suddenly blindsided by their turn suddenly continuing. Or, you know, if you want to talk to somebody about something that happened in their turn and it's not while their turn's going on, at the WOW weekends we say you've got to get permission from that person first because the turn, the one hour of focus, that's when the focus is on that person's work, and when your turn's over, it's over. And at some of the weekends, we do have time for additional turns. What we also emphasize during the WOW weekends is that outside of the WOW weekends, you don't talk about what you've seen people work on in WOW weekends. So that's why my conversation right now is just not peppered with examples of, oh, yeah, so-and-so came and they worked on blah, blah, blah. Um, no, we, we, don't, we don't do that. I've worked on lots of things at WOW Weekends. I, can, I could certainly give examples from particular things that I've worked on, and any participant is free to talk about what, what that individual has worked on at WOW Weekends, but we don't, we don't talk about what... what um, people have done at WOW Weekends, what um, issues individuals have brought up at WOW Weekends. There's there is a degree of, of confidentiality there that creates safety. There's also a degree of community there. We eat together. Um, 
we generally help one another some some aspects of the the final details of meal of meal preparation and usually a bit of the cleanup is done somewhat communally not entirely when we have larger groups we usually uh, will also hire someone in to prepare the meals so that Cynthia and I are not also trying to prepare the meals when the group is small we'll often do the cooking ourselves um, but that that communal part of the experience is a real important part of the WOW weekends. Mm. The meal times together, the so, chatting so together when it's not anyone's turn. If somebody's in right now listening to this and they're in Alaska or Hong Kong and they want to follow this model, um, it would be possible for them in a large house to get some local storytellers together for the weekend and to follow the model. Could you describe how they would run that weekend? in sort of the, the overall logistics of, of the weekend? Let's well, say six people are together at a house. They're coming to your house this weekend, six people. Well, they they certainly need to think about um, how are they going to handle food? How are they going to handle um, lodging? And if there are going to be any costs associated with that, how are they going to handle the cost? And how are they going to handle the responsibilities? Because those those creature comfort kinds of things will not take care of themselves. Well, let's say those someone things has are, to attend to those kinds of things. Well, let's say to, those things are all figured out. How well, they, that's that's a lot of the work. <laughs> that's a lot of the work right there, getting those things figured out. Cynthia is um, just an accomplished, accomplished at offering hospitality. She runs a bed and breakfast. We have the event at her bed and breakfast, which, by the way, Eric, is in southern Indiana. Oh, it's along the Ohio River in a little town called oh, Bethlehem, I got the wrong Indiana. Side of the river. Yeah, that's okay, but it's in southern Indiana. And um, Cynthia is, is, is a very accomplished at extending hospitality and helping people absolutely feel at ease and at home and making sure that that their creature comfort kinds of needs are taken care of. And that's important because often people are a little nervous, especially if they've never attended a WOW weekend before. There might be a little bit of anxiety if they're... um, Sometimes people have had some very negative experiences with people responding to their work. Um, Sometimes they've had the kind of experiences where people have made them question whether or not they ever even thought they had any business telling a story. I just want Um, to tell everybody everybody who um, is listening that I've done the Well Weekends and everything Mary says is totally true. (laughs) And there's not the slightest exaggeration in what she's saying. Well, and all of that kind of stuff is so important. All of that making sure that people develop a sense of trust in each other and a sense of comfort with each other so that the the sessions can then go well. And, and, and I've Cynthia stayed, and I try to help people use the process well. I've stayed at, um, I'm not even exaggerating, I think about this, I'm really thinking about this. I stayed at a five-star bed and breakfast once. And when I stayed at it, 
in my mind, I compared it to the other bed and breakfasts. And the only bed and breakfast that even slightly compared to it um, was the one at the, the, the story house. <laughs> the oh, good. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, this, you know, sort of the, the really good food, the really nicely furnished, very nice, nice and clean. Um, and I've, I've stayed a lot of bed and breakfasts, you know, and it's just, and the five star was just, I mean, it was five stars, but Cynthia's was, was so, was the only thing that even compares. Storytelling with children. <laughs> Storytelling with children. Storytelling with children. If somebody's listening to us right now and they're in a different country, so they're not going to get to the wild weekends, and they're interested in how you split up the time with the storytellers, um, how would you, you just give everybody an hour and you split the time equally among everyone? We have a large timer. Um, we set it for one hour for each person. And the individual whose turn it is, they are the only one who can see the timer counting down, which gives that person the control over how they are going to use their time. So if they want to tell two different stories and get some feedback on two different stories during their hour, it's up to them to say, well, okay, I'd like to cut off discussion on this first story now because I have another story I'd like to tell and I'd like to um, get a chance for you to respond to that one. Mm-hmm. So the the individual person is in charge of their hour and we have learned that it doesn't work for people to be saying, oh, well, why don't I just take 15 minutes right now and then I'll take another 45 minutes later. That's that's too much. That's too much. That That's just too much counting up everybody's minutes. You get an hour. Okay? If for some reason you choose not to use your whole hour, that's okay. doesn't mean you held 30 minutes over for the next day. You have an hour. And um, sometimes... Everyone will have an hour, and how how hard and fast and furious we work depends somewhat on each group. We have had some groups, we, we take no more than eight people. Hmm. So we're trying to get no more than, at, at a minimum, um, well, at a maximum, we're trying to get eight one-hour turns in. When we first began the WOW weekends, we would have up to ten people there, and we learned when we had ten people, we had to have a schedule, and we couldn't be as flexible in terms of breaks. If the whole group started crashing in the afternoon or we had people who really needed afternoon naps or people who were going to die if they stayed in the house one minute longer and couldn't get out and walk for a while, we couldn't be flexible with that. But with a maximum of eight people, that means you're trying to get an eight one-hour turns over the course of all day and evening Saturday and all morning up to early afternoon on Sunday. Now, people, of how many turns we've had and how many more turns we need to get in. But we we look to the group as a whole for making some of those decisions on how long of a break do you want to take before we have the next turn and whether you want to push ahead and do one more turn before dinner or whether you'd like to have a longer break before dinner and do and then do a couple more turns after dinner so so we work with the the group now it's possible that 
people somewhere else might not want to do it that way. One thing that Cynthia and I have encouraged is that when people from from other areas think, oh, we'd really like to do this, what they might want to do is come to one of our WOW weekends. And, you know, a couple of people, two or three people, who think they want to go back and work on these together in their own home area, come to a WOW weekend and maybe make plans to stay over one extra day and during that extra day um, use it to consult with us, make make a plan to consult with us to where they stay over one more night and they then they consult with us about how they might plan their own WOW weekends That's a really back good in their idea. own area. And, and we're open to that. I mean, we realize that... Um, it really would add to the expense if people try to hire us in to do their WOW weekends for them. Yeah. And people have approached us about that before. What about someone who wants to, um, they want to call you just for consultations? You're open to that as well if they're in the Well, we're not, depends. I mean, it depends. I mean, they can certainly, you know, go on um, my website the www.maryhamilton.info, I-N-F-O, and look under programs and look under WOW Weekends, and they can read about the process that we use. Um, they can also, I I would think that they would want to get a hold of um, Doug Littman's books on coaching and read what other people have to say about coaching. So it's Doug, D-O-U-G, Lipman, L-I-P-M-A-N. Yes. Um, one of the issues that has come up for me in working in schools and also with other storytellers is sometimes I get this really interesting, what I think of as static from them, um, where they they want to partake in what they call critical feedback. And I'm I'm really interested in what your response to that is. If somebody comes to WOW Weekend and they say, oh, but are we doing enough critical feedback, or uh, why can't we do more critical feedback? What is your response? Well, I would ask the person, what do you mean when you say um, critical feedback? Because to me, critical thinking is thoughtful thinking. Hmm. It's not necessarily negative thinking. It's, It's thoughtful thinking. Well, let's pretend um, in this case that they say to you, I want to tell them what to stop doing. Um, what would be your response to that? Oh, well, is there is there something that the teller was doing that pulled them away from the story? Hmm. And if that's the situation, then um, the the person who's responding they're not they're not being a very helpful responder if um they don't let the person know in step 4 when the listeners get to ask questions or state reactions this is when you let them them know how, more about how things worked for you so um oh if someone moved around quite a bit for instance, that maybe maybe they were just what seemed to you as flat out pacing, let's say, for example. And you think, Oh, God, they need to know not to pace like that. That's what's in your head. 
Well, you have a couple of, of alternatives. One could be to say that um, I noticed that you were sort of moving back and forth, and I'm curious about about why that was why that was in happening or or what effect you wanted that to have on me as a listener. That'd be one way to find out what's going on with the person. Another might be um, to state your reaction, to say, I noticed that you were moving back and forth quite a bit, and as one of your listeners, I found that I lost track of the story because I started paying more attention to your movement. Um, I wonder what impact you wanted your movement to have. Hmm. Now, they might say, oh, I didn't even know I was moving. Yeah. Okay, well, they just they just found out something. Or they might say, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm well aware that I'm moving. You know, I thought if I, if I move, that would make your eyes need to follow me, and that would increase your attention. And you can say, in, in which case, in response, you can say, oh, okay, well, I see where you were headed. Um, you know, what happened for me was that my attention came pulled away from your story and instead went to just watching you move. You're just telling them what happened with you. And that is so different from, now listen, you really can't pace while you tell a story. No, you've got to stop that pacing. That's passing a judgment. And that's a huge you statement right what? at them. It's a huge you statement it's right at them. Triggers well, a lot of things. Well, it's a huge you cannot, you should yeah. not. Um, why are you pacing? That's not, it's got smacked, that's got tons of judgment in it. You know, I, I, I noticed that you were moving back and forth, and, and I'm, I'm wondering... Um, how you wanted that me that to affect me as your listener? That's a question that you might really want an answer to. To hope you would want an answer to. Another would be to state what happened to you. Um, I got caught up when you moved from here to there several times. I got caught up in watching your movement and um, lost track of the story right there. Um, so I'm 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 wondering. You know, did were there, did you have particular hopes for what that movement would do for me? Because I I got lost. That's stating what happened to you. That doesn't mean everybody's going to have gotten lost. And the teller can make the decision on whether they choose to keep that movement or whether they decide, oh, well, you know, hadn't occurred to me that anybody would get lost, and I really don't want them getting lost. And this is a really a lost art in America today that the art of of offering advice. Without um, insulting the person you're offering it to, without threatening them, of just of getting an awareness in them what they're doing and who they are. It's an amazing art, and to me, it's it's the most amazing part of the Wow Weekend experience. Is that you're not only learning storytelling, you're learning how to teach storytelling by raising awareness of the storyteller. I just find that amazing. I think part of it is is right responding. Bring, bringing out what the teller already knows. 
you know, helping the teller tap into what they already know. I mean, I, I can think of one story where I deliberately incorporate pacing. Deliberately. Now, I don't incorporate pacing when the physical setup is such that I have to stay on a mic that's not going to move with me. Right. But when the physical setup is such that the audience is small enough that I'm not mic'd or I have a mic that's going to move with me, there is a point in a story when I deliberately incorporate pacing. And I'm... I'm and and I've and I've done it quite deliberately. And there there could be people who would say, "Well, she was pacing." I think those storytellers aren't supposed to pace. Well, I don't think there's any blanket rule like that. Storytellers aren't supposed to pace. And some would say they're not supposed to sing or to play instruments, but yes, they do. Right. I mean, there there are no hard, fast. Rules like that. Different storytellers relate to. You know, we all we all have to relate to our audiences. And at a Wow Weekend, what you've got is an audience that you can actually talk to about how did my choices affect you. And we often don't get those kinds of opportunities for that kind of articulate feedback from our audiences. And to me, that's that's such a plus of a wow weekend. I mean, it's like I get a chance to debrief my audience at a wow weekend. You get to get inside their heads and see what they Yeah. Do. I get to find out, you know, what what were you excited about? What were you thrilled with? When were you ever confused? So, oh, well, if I had said it this way, where, where would that have led your picture making in your head? Let's restate the four, the four steps again. The first step is listening. Yes, and there's there's five. Listening, five listening is number one. Step two is giving affirmations. It's it's compliments that are honest to the teller and generally specific to the teller about what just happened. Step three, the teller asks questions. They bring up the issues that they want the group to discuss with them, so they're asking questions of the group. And then in step four, the responders or the listeners are asking questions of the teller or telling the teller what their reactions were. And those were some of the things we were just talking about. You know, I I found, found myself watching where you were moving instead of following the story in this one part. That's a reaction. I saw the image Not clearly. a judgment. I saw the image clearly. I, I smelled the sulfur. Um, mm-hmm. The experience of the story. And then the fifth step is just to find out what else the teller might need from the group. Because often the teller had, now has more questions they want to ask the group. So it gives them a chance to go back and ask some more questions. So the this final whole, step is just sort of a wrap-up. What else do you need from This whole process us? happens in that one hour or that ever, whatever that amount of time is, but it happens in that whole It time. happens in the hour and... The, whatever the extent of the process that the person wants to use happens in the hour. Like I said, sometimes all someone wants is step one, listen. Sometimes they want step one and step two, and they never get around to going to step three. But that's all right. That's, what, that's all they wanted. 
to me, if if storytelling is an emotional art form, it's 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 an ability to tell um, something that that evokes an emotion, then it's incredibly important that the way we learn that, way we study that, is safe for us. Oh, absolutely. And what you're describing to me, what you have described in this hour, and what I've experienced with the Wild Weekends, is a safe place to develop my own emotional content. And absolutely. My own emotional that's a that's a very important goal because Cynthia and I know that we are bringing together people who may have never met each other before the weekend. So it is really important that people feel safe with each other. Yeah, and I, so I, our I job is to is to help each teller use the process, help the group use the process, and and maintain the safety and confidentiality that makes it all work. I, I never really noticed that before, but now in my memories, going back to my first weekend there, I realized that that you were doing that. At the time, I didn't realize that. But just, you know, that was new and going in, not knowing everybody. Um, then seeing how, in, in following weekends, how hard you worked to connect people who who didn't know each other, but you both knew. Mm-hmm. that you were right. comfortable with them and you, were, you tried to speed up that process of them being comfortable with each other. Mm-hmm. And Cynthia's just about, a master at that. Why don't you tell us about uh, what the dates are for the fall? For the wild? We've got, let's see, I need to get the dates right here in front of me, September 21, 22, 23, and December 7, 8, and 9. Those are the remaining Wow Weekends for 2007. September 21, 22, 23, and December 7, 8, 9, 2007. And what's the approximate travel time from some major cities within four or five hours of your... Oh, I think it's... The the actual location is... Southern Illinois. It's <laughs> Southern Indiana. Southern Indiana. Southern Indiana. Indiana. Mm-hmm. I've never and it's um, 45 minutes northeast of Louisville and about 30 minutes southwest of Madison, Indiana, a little town called Bethlehem, Indiana. And if people fly to the area, they fly into the airport in Louisville, and as if people are are willing to have us pick them up in our own cars and take them out there, um, we will do that just so a person doesn't need to rent a car that just sits there all weekend. So we do provide, you know, free airport transportation. We just have sort of a window of time that folks need to come in during and fly out during so that we're not interrupting the weekend itself to pick up somebody or deliver because once the weekend gets going, we we need to all be there. Uh, In addition, you do residencies, school residencies. um, Oh, yes, I do school residencies, and Cynthia does school residencies. And you teach kids? to tell stories using this methodology. Is that correct? I teach kids and teachers how to use the artistic response process to look at student work. And often, sometimes that work might be storytelling work. Um, Because there's such an emphasis on writing in Kentucky, often it's used to help students have an effective way of responding to each other's writing. And when I'm doing that, so the goal that the teachers and I usually have is to make the children become somewhat self-sufficient. So I teach them how to be a, the monitor, how to be the one that helps the group follow the steps. And because the students need to have some clear accountability, we also have a note taker 
who records what happens in each session so that the student the student whose work is being looked at will have a written record of what all was said, what questions they asked, how the group responded. And, and I go into schools and coach um, students in performance storytelling um, and in and do storytelling residence where I'll stay in a school for two weeks. And I'll coach, mm-hmm. actual, uh, I'll coach multiple classrooms right. uh, using this method. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really good at it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it works. It's really amazing to see these kids get up, and they're just just—they're just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we have, as they say in Car Talk, <laughs> Pretty much out of time. Yeah, we're, we're out of time. Um, I want to thank you so much, Mary. I am so grateful and so, such, so honored to have you on. Um, as my guest, and um, I want to remind um, uh, the listeners that if you want to read more about the WOW Weekends, you can go to Mary Hamilton's website, which is www.maryhamilton.info, and then you uh, click on the program button and then on the the WOW Weekend button. You can read all about the WOW Weekend. Uh, In addition, on my website, which is www.ericwolf.org, um, there's a little write-up with a link directly to the WOW Weekend page. Um, and if you are listening to the podcast through iTunes, it's important that you know that if you want to actually be in on the conference call, you can ask the guests questions and find out about future guests. In order to do that, you have to sign into the community of storytellers and listeners and administrators and festival organizers at www.ericwolf.org. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mary, so much. Okay. This guest has written a post for the blog at www.storytellingwithchildren.com. You can make a comment or ask a question in the blog comment box about this discussion. If you wish to join a future discussion live on the call, go to www.storytellingwithchildren.com and sign up to the email alerts to receive future notices of shows. This show was conceived, hosted, and produced by me, Eric Wolf. And to support the show, you may learn more about my storytelling work by going to www.ericwolf.org. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This podcast is the responsibility of Brother Wolf Storytelling and is distributed under a Creative Commons non-derivative license. That means you can copy it and give it away, but you can't edit it or sell it. Thank you so much for listening.